0: Pro-Trump protesters have stormed the U.S. Capitol, which has been locked down, and you heard them saying, no.
1: "There's a number of falsities around the election process that have, frankly, just spun out of control." Starting with the 2020 election, we've evacuated the Senate chamber. The Florida the Senate no longer is in business, but everybody seems to be safe.
2: January 6, 2021, the Capitol was stormed by thousands of supporters of the defeated outgoing President Donald Trump, many of them believing that the Democrats and then President-elect Joe Biden stole the election, partly because of statements to that effect by some of the very members of Congress who were inside the building under siege.
0: Once you get political elites pushing these ideas, those ideas are going to reach a lot more people.
1: Elected officials need to tell the truth. And you know these folks that continue to lie and spread lies are doing a disservice to democracy broadly and you know they need to tell the truth regardless of how difficult that truth might be for their political party they need to tell the truth
2: with less than two weeks to go until the midterms there's still ample doubt about whether certain voters will accept the results of this election if their preferred candidate loses and whether those candidates will concede should they fall short. Just shy of two years since that attack on the Capitol, there are some places where election integrity is essentially on the ballot. And perhaps nowhere is that more true than Pennsylvania. I'm Doug Sovereign, and this is The Homestretch, a political podcast from Odyssey. How pervasive is the stop the steal rhetoric in Pennsylvania? Is it just a minority that still believes the 2020 presidential election was stolen, Joe Biden's illegitimate, or is that a widely held belief?
0: You know, that's a great question. And actually, in some ways, the governor's race will be a bit of a referendum on that because we have Doug Mastriano, a state senator. He was at the Capitol on January 6th. He was on the Capitol grounds, didn't go into the Capitol, but was, was there. And you can infer from that that he is very much the stop the steal in that camp.
2: That's Jim Melwert from Odyssey's KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. Pennsylvania has two races with national implications this election cycle the race for governor between Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano and Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro, and the battle for a U.S. Senate seat opened by the retiring Republican Pat Toomey. The Senate race pits Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz against Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. How did Pennsylvania become this battleground for election integrity?
0: When you're talking politics, Pennsylvania is kind of a battleground for everything. It's, it's a very diverse state. You have urban versus rural, energy versus environment, fracking, natural gas, coal. It kind of encompasses everything that you see on the national level. For lack of a better way to put it, it's very purple across the board. Fifth largest state in the country. So when you're talking politics, it's, it's always kind of a battleground.
2: To get the bigger picture, I also spoke with Amber McReynolds. She's an election administration expert who was appointed to the Board of Governors of the U.S. Postal Service in February 2021. Pennsylvania is a real hot spot for this issue this fall. But of course, it's also big in Arizona, as you mentioned, Georgia, Michigan. Are there particular places you're worried about uh, election integrity issues or what happens surrounding the results this fall?
1: I continue to be exceedingly worried about election officials that are serving on the front line. Those are the local officials that run the process. A lot of people think the states run the process. It's really the local officials. Some of the states are more involved than others, but I continue to worry about the threats against the lives of these public servants that are working day in and day out across the country. And then, in terms of particular states, given the rhetoric from some of the candidates in Nevada and Arizona that are running for Secretary of State or Wyoming, I think Nevada and Arizona are probably the top concerns.
2: In Nevada, Jim Marchand is the Republican nominee for Secretary of State. He has said he would not have certified the 2020 election results, and he has suggested that a long list of Democrats in Congress were not legitimately elected either, even though they won landslide victories. Arizona's Republican nominee for governor, Carrie Lake, has not said if she'll accept the election results if she loses, and Wyoming's unopposed Republican nominee for Secretary of State, State Representative Chuck Gray, also falsely claims Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election.
1: Pennsylvania, the Secretary of State is chosen by the governor. So, given the comments from one of the candidates running for governor, you know, I think Pennsylvania is definitely a concern. Wisconsin, there's been a number of controversial issues that have popped up. And there's also been a ton of misinformation and and just downright election interference by some of the folks that have continued to spread lies. And nevertheless,
2: some of those people may well get elected. There are people running. And as you mentioned, It's a real concern if these people end up being the ones who are in charge of the process. And what kind of corrosive effect could that have on our whole system down the road if what's supposed to be a nonpartisan affair, administering elections, becomes as hyperpartisan as it could well be?
1: Well, look, most election officials in this country, and and again, Democrats, independents, Republicans, I'm unaffiliated myself and have been, you know, most are going to run the process in a nonpartisan way. I continue to be concerned when people's lives are being threatened and they're receiving the harassment that they are from people all over the country that just continue to believe the lies. Like it's It's a public safety issue. And unfortunately, a lot of these folks have not been held accountable yet. So I think one of the other aspects of this is what is law enforcement doing to hold bad actors accountable? Because it is a law enforcement problem. And if law enforcement isn't going to do what they need to do, then we also need to make sure they're held accountable for You know, not enforcing the laws on the books in states or making sure that our election officials are protected and can run the process in a safe way.
2: There are so many Americans who insist that the 2020 election was illegitimate, it was rigged, it was stolen. How do we ever overcome the perception from one side or the other that when they lose, it must have been rigged? Uh, Or is this now a permanent state of affairs, partly because of this new cottage industry you described?
1: I think there's a few things. I mean, first, anyone regardless of political affiliation or party affiliation that refuses to accept the outcome of the election simply because they refuse to accept the fact that they got less votes is a problem. Whether that was the 2020 election or any elections prior to that, where we've had, you know, candidates refuse to accept those outcomes. I mean, there are legitimate court recourse processes where if you have a question or you want to have a recount or any of that, there are legal processes in place for candidates or campaigns to have their day in court. And once that's over, then it's over and people need to move on.
2: But it might not be that simple. Dr. Joseph Usinski, one of the country's top experts on conspiracy theories, told Odyssey's podcast, Something Offbeat, that it's not always a lack of accurate information that pushes people toward untruths.
0: It's not like people go around just adopting whatever idea they hear. It's they seek out and adopt ideas that tell them that the way they view the world already is correct.
1: Just the number of conspiracies and the speed at which they transverse the Internet was incredible. And most of that, or if not all of it, could easily be demonstrated to be inaccurate by any number of different either laws or regulations or evidence-based factual responses. And yet it's still, to this day, a lot of those are believed by the people that want to believe them.
2: McReynolds and Mel both believe one reason voters may lose faith in the system is the complexity of elections in the United States.
1: In our country, elections are a local phenomenon. So we have county clerks, city clerks, county auditors, election directors, election officials, right around 10,000 different jurisdictions run the process at the local level. It's our neighbors, it's our friends, it's parents that we see at the sports games on the weekends, all of that. So it's very much members of the community that run this process. And it's a highly regulated process. Every state law varies on the voting system side of things at the federal level. And then at the state level, there's multiple different pre-election tests that are run in the public domain to make sure that the tabulation process is happening correctly, that the ballots are accurate, that there's no issues going into the election. And then there's multiple checks and balances throughout the election process, as well as on the back end.
2: How complicated is this process by the fact that it is county by county, state by state? There's not like a federal nationalized system of of administering elections.
1: Well, that certainly adds to the complicated nature of it. I, for one, believe that we actually do need to create more consistencies at the federal level on a number of issues. And we have done so in a bipartisan way multiple times. And so I think back the sort of first initiative that enfranchised half of our population was the 19th amendment that passed. Then we fast forward to the Voting Rights Act and that was a law put in place to ensure equality and equity across the system. And it was passed in a bipartisan way.
2: One of the election laws in Pennsylvania that has come under scrutiny since the 2020 election is the one that expanded mail-in voting. That
0: legislation was thought to be a win for Republicans. Pennsylvania is an older state. Older voters tend to vote Republican. They may be less mobile. So mail-in balloting was thought to be a benefit to the GOP. Also, they got rid of straight party voting in Pennsylvania, which generally helped Democrats. So that bill at the time in 2019 was thought to be a win for Republicans. No one could have predicted the pandemic and how many people would turn to mail-in balloting, and the issues that that would raise. County elections offices weren't prepared for the volume that came in by mail, and no one could have predicted Donald Trump. We saw early in the summer of 2020, the Trump campaign came out against mail-in ballots, turned Republicans against them. So those mail-in ballots really are the heart of election integrity here in Pennsylvania, the heart of the battle.
2: Yeah, it's true. The purple states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, the ones that are the closest are the battlegrounds and the ones where the election integrity issue has been the most volatile and uh, emphasized. And it's also true that historically, we assumed that mail-in ballots did favor more conservative, older Republican voters, and that's really shifted. And now it's Democrats who really embraced that. And so the Republicans are opposing it. How have those measures put in place since 2016 and 2019 changed the way people vote in Pennsylvania?
0: Yeah, well, you would have thought that go back to the 2016 election and and the battle over paper ballots and having the record, you'd think that that would have been by the time they were implemented, the late teens and, and 2020, when we really made that switch, you think that that might have been the issue. But really, the question of mail-in ballots, what ballots should be counted, what ballots shouldn't be counted, simple things like if you don't put a date on the outside of the envelope, it's two years now since this has gone in effect. And that is still an issue that's not been directly addressed by the state legislature.
2: Some of the same Republican state lawmakers who voted for Act 77 of 2019 are now challenging it in court. There's been a lot of back and forth on this, but here's where it stands right now. Earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned an appeals court decision that would have forced Pennsylvania to count undated mail-in ballots. That decision doesn't rule out counting undated ballots, but it does not mandate it. Now the GOP is asking the state Supreme Court to block those ballots from being included or at least keep them separate to prepare for another legal challenge after the election last friday the pennsylvania supreme court agreed to hear that next challenge as the midterms approach in less than two weeks
0: at the heart of it is each county runs their elections and because there are no hard and fast rules coming down from the state one county will say oh well we're going to put these ballots aside and let people fix them or no we're not going to do that so if it's a republican majority county, they might treat mail-in ballots differently than a Democrat majority county. So you just have all these different rules. The confusion really is the issue. And that confusion opens doors for litigation. And then that just erodes the confidence in elections. And when you get there, that's a really dangerous place to go.
2: Is there any effort in Pennsylvania to clarify the things you're talking about, to go back and revisit, okay, let's make it clear, at least from the state level, saying, okay, here's a rule on whether the date has to be on it or not, or that sort of thing, to prevent repeats of all of this? Or is it all just going to be a free-for-all again?
0: Well, that's the frustration. The frustration is, you know, people say that the state legislature, like, look, these are the things that need to be clarified. We understand, you know, you can point to this clause in the law that's kind of ambiguous, and that's what people are taking to court and saying, well, this says this, and we interpret it as this. And no, we interpret it as this. And Rather than addressing those, you know, the state legislature, the Republicans want want a voter ID or voter verification system. Democrats, uh, they say they don't want to do anything that might inhibit access to polling. So no one can get anywhere. And when you talk to the people who are responsible for running the elections, they get so frustrated because they know what the problems are. These are the simple problems that we need to fix that we could do real easily, they say. And the legislature doesn't seem to have the interest in that because there's not the political push.
2: While election officials are concerned about election integrity, where does it fit among the concerns of most voters? According to a September NPR-PBS NewsHour Marist poll, inflation, abortion, and health care all ranked above election-related issues among U.S. adults.
0: I don't know that the average voter is really that concerned necessarily about the security. I think they would like to see more black-and-white rules, and I think the constant battles over this, the constant court battles, the constant political wrangling that doesn't seem to really go anywhere, just succeeds in eroding faith in elections.
2: The conventional wisdom has been that Republicans are doing that on purpose because they want to reduce turnout while Democrats want to get as many people to vote as possible because they think there's more of them than the other side. What's this likely to do to turnout in November in Pennsylvania?
0: There's an open Senate seat. A Republican is retiring, Pat Toomey. So you have an open Senate seat at the same time as a term-limited governor. So Two very big races right at the top of the ticket, not even to mention the congressional races, the state legislature with new maps that have been drawn. So I think turnout will still be very high. I think there's still a lot of interest. I think the question will be, you know, what happens afterward? Because without the clearly defined rules as to what ballot gets counted, can you fix this ballot? Can you not fix this ballot? When can you call someone who sent a mail-in ballot and say, hey, we haven't opened it yet, but there's a problem here? you know, those kind of things, that's all gonna end up in court. And then, you know, what's that do after?
1: We have to reject these conspiracy theorists and election deniers that don't want your vote to count. And I continue to say to people, if somebody doesn't want your vote to count or doesn't think your previous vote should count, you probably shouldn't elect them to be in charge of or be responsible for this very sacred process.
2: I'm Doug Sovereign, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Home Stretch. Every Thursday from now till the midterms, we'll drop a new episode focused on the most watched issues of this election cycle. Believe it or not, there's just one more Thursday until Election Day, and our final episode will zero in on which party has the best chance to control Congress for the next two years. Please leave us a rating and a review, and subscribe so the next episode is waiting for you as soon as it's released. This episode was produced by Lauren Barry and Cooper Mall, writing by Chris Blake. Sound design by Zach Clark. Odyssey's managing producer for National News Podcasts is Myron Kaplan.